This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn. A business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. Cruise Consulting, a leading tax CPA who works exclusively with funded startups. Go to cruiseconsulting.com slash twist and get a free tax consultation and R&D tax credit white paper. And Smile Direct Club, exclusive offer for Twist listeners. Get $150 off your invisible aligners. Go to smiledirectclub.com slash podcast with promo code TWIST150. And now part two of Jason's explosive interview with Roger McNamee. Nobody seems to know what happened. It's a really interesting playbook, and it was Google's playbook as well. Because when Google got in trouble, I remember when they did the Panda update, and they just knocked a bunch of sites and all their traffic. One of them was mine, Mahalo.com, in the, in, back in the day. I would call and say, "Who's who can I talk to about this? And they're like, well, you can't talk to the search people. I'm like, well, why not? Um, and uh, who can I talk to? And well, I don't know. Nobody's really in charge of that. We don't really talk to you. We don't. And then at some point, Matt Cutts was like, we really don't have partners. I'm like... I have 17 emails from the partner group. You call it the AdSense partner group. Right. He's like, well, we don't have partners for search. I'm like, and it's this obscurification, brilliant people, but nobody in charge. Well, well again, this is all part of that culture, the libertarian yeah. thing, which is that you're not actually responsible for the consequ- the negative consequences. You get all the benefits yeah. of the, the good stuff, but you're not responsible for the bad. And at some You know point- who thinks that way too? Gun manufacturers. Oh, there you go. So, so, so I look at this as I was really blind because once I stopped being day to day involved, which is yeah. two thousand. I mean, after this thing, I realized you know what? They're not super, They're not as open to my ideas as they were. So I I pull back. Which is to be clear, and you've probably had this experience too. Great entrepreneurs need different things at different points in the company's cycle. And somebody who's perfect at one point will eventually not be perfect. And I've been doing this for so long that it, I have a callus there. I literally don't worry about it. So I'm just thinking, I'm just going to pull back. And I tell yeah. Mark, I think we're, you know, we're probably done. And you know, he goes, oh, we'll always be friends. And you know, I'll always call on you. And I go, great, fantastic. Look forward to it. So I, I'm not paying any attention. I'm just enjoying this. The, when we finally got to invest, the security that I, that I initially invested in was this synthetic thing because we bought a guy's uh, share? Appre- you bought out an employee or early uh, employee stock appreciation right. It wasn't even a real security, right. and so I'm locked. The up. appreciation right. So I, if it goes, you give them the money for what it's worth today. You get all the gains. Well, in this okay. particular case, it was a, a no, no. I mean, we negotiated, so he ah. got it. He got it way better than what it was worth ah. at the time. But but that mm-hmm. wasn't the point. The point was it wasn't a real security. I was locked up for like. Through the IPO plus another year or something. Right. I mean, it, I had like thank a f- God. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, the IPO was a cluster. But the reality of it was, and this, this is what I was trying to get to, which was that I had no economic incentive to like dig terribly deep, right? Mm. Because I was so locked up, I'm yeah. just in there. So there's no point in sweating it. So I got into the habit of just assuming that I understood what was going on and enjoying the results. And in 2009, they did not have a business model. In 2011, they begin to figure out ad tech. Mobile advertising. But it takes, no, not yet. Not yet. 2013 before they get there. So four years go by between when I leave and and when they figure it out. By the time they figured it out, I'm no longer an insider at all. I mean, most of the people I know have moved on and 
And uh, so what winds up happening is in 2016, when I'm looking at it, I really don't understand how their ad business works. I do not understand any of the critical psychological things. And what happens is after I stop trying to reach Dan Rose, a couple months later, I'm co-hosting a show on Bloomberg Technology, Emily Chang's show. Yeah. And it, by pure dumb chance, Tristan Harris, who had been the design ethicist to Google, yeah. is on the show that day. He'd been on 60 Minutes two days before. And he had this whole episode of 60 Minutes talking about what he called brain hacking, which is really persuasive technology. Behavior modification. But it was persuasive technology and how it evolved once you got to small, smartphones. And I'm reading the transcript of the 60 Minutes thing. And all of a sudden, this massive like gigawatt light bulb goes off. Oh. And I'm going, that's what happened. That's what was going on with my friends with the... With the uh, uh, Bernie Sanders things. That's what's going on in Brexit, right? That those things are really the result of the ability to manipulate attention, which is a combination of building habits by sending people notifications, giving them likes, all the things you would have at slot machines. Behavioral loops, yeah. Combined with appeals to lizard brain emotions like outrage and fear, because people share outrage and fear because they want other people to feel the same emotions they're feeling. Right. Whereas, you know, you send somebody a wedding photo and a lot of people are going to be jealous, right? So yeah. it doesn't, it's not viral the same way. No. And so they, you create this loop where you, you get people into a habit. And for a lot of them, that habit tips over into addiction, which is why I always ask people, I say, dude, when do you check your phone in the morning? Yeah. Is it before you pee or while you're peeing? Yeah. Right? Because- I don't know anybody who waits yeah. any longer than that. And I just pee the bed. Right? Yeah. And so so when you're looking at, at that problem of the psychology, you realize, oh my God, that explains everything. And what that meant was that the election issue I'd seen was subordinate to the public health issues of the manipulation. Mm. Because once people are addicted, then it's possible to manipulate what they think. That's why, why filter bubbles yeah. can be so dangerous. Because you're looking at Facebook or you're looking at, YouTube or, you know, frankly, Google search. And because they're reinforcing what you like, mm. you know, you can get into this thing that's a Truman show where you have your own reality, your own facts. You think everybody agrees with you. And by definition, somebody who doesn't agree with you is pretty much an what alien. They, they call that the Overton window, I guess, which Overton is- window. Overton window. Overton window. Well, Overton window is slightly different. Overton window is sort of- Explain the, that to everybody, because so, it does relate to filter bubbles in a way. Well, the Overton yeah. window is Overton. really about, about the range of an acceptable debate, okay? Ideas and, that you can debate. Well, yeah, or what, what people will allow you to talk about, right? Uh, and so, so, you know- in the United States, one of the things is that since we've been moving to the right on economics and on military and uh, really, frankly, the whole government relationship to business, mm. the Overton window is such that when you look at a person like Elizabeth Warren, people say she's a radical today. Yet her ideas in 1980 would have been right of center for a Democrat, and her ideas in 1956 would have been way right of center for a Republican. Right? Mm. I mean, the Overton window has shifted so far to the right yeah. that we now brand as radical things that would have been to the right of the mainstream. Yeah, free college, two years of city college in New York, whatever. This is considered radical. Well, or, or how about regulating banks so that they can't be predatory on consumers? Well, if you take Warren's core points, yeah. right, it's about eliminating 
corruption in the banking industry and the tech industry, right? How well, radical. you can understand why people want to label that as radical because there's a lot of money in banking and tech, right? Yeah, sure. And so, but all I'm trying to get at is in the context we're talking about here is these things do play together because, you know, filter bubbles came way before these platforms. I mean, yeah. you know, you the Bible, you know, Churches and religions have had filter bubbles. And what city do you choose to live in? You choose to live in San Francisco. It's a city of love. So when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the filter bubbles were maintained by network television, right? So when I was a little kid, we all saw the Kennedy funeral. We saw the Beatles come to the U.S. We saw the moon landing, Right. right? And people talked about conformism. That was the problem because there was one set of facts and we were all inculcated with the same things, right? right? And so then rebellion comes along. And with when Reagan comes in, he comes in after we've had this long period of 50 years of collective action where we beat the depression, we beat the Nazis by people saying, we're, gonna, we're in this together yeah. and we're going to have high Alliance. tax rates, we're going to invest for our mutual defense, right? And so when the war ends, what do you do? You build highways, you build schools, you build universities, airports, the you suburbs. go to the moon. But what you're doing is you're bringing up the average income and the average uh, lifestyle because you're investing for the common good, right? But the problem is then you hit the mid-70s, the oil shock hits, and the entire economy is based on cheap oil. And once cheap oil goes away, you have massive inflation and economic stagnation at the same time. And to break out of that, Reagan correctly said, we need to sort of reverse field. So -hmm. we're going to open things up and give individuals all the power. And for the first 10 years, that was great for everybody. For the next 10 years, it was still good, maybe diminishing returns, but still good. But for the last 18 years, it's resulted in this massive you know, concentration of value for the very top end because, let's face it, they started with a little bit more assets at the beginning of the period, and that allowed them to hire the best lawyers, the best accountants, the best... You know, the best lobbyists. lobbyists. And then over 40 years, you're just gradually tipping the scale. It's just, and it's not evil. It's just people doing their job, right? Right. And so you get to the end of the period and suddenly, you know, it really helps to be a white male born to a parents who went to an Ivy League school and had a lot of money, right? Yeah. Because at that point, you're pretty much set. And that's where you are today. And so you have this weird thing where, where the filter bubbles of the 50s were built around, hey, you can have it your way. And that meant Procter & Gamble. It meant Burger King and McDonald's, yeah. right? It was sort of like you had a 30-year period where, where, where as a consumer, that was about the products you bought. Yeah. Then beginning with Google and Facebook, it's all about doing the same thing for ideas. Yeah. So everybody gets to have their own ideas. And it's like common facts, forget it, yeah. right? You got 40% of the country that identifies with one of climate change denial or the link between vaccines and autism, both of which are demonstrably false, have almost no overlap in their belief systems and collectively are 40% of the country. Hard to have a democracy with uh. you can't agree on the facts, right? A democracy based on one set of facts, different points of view on what to do about it, Yeah, right? That's good. But if you can't agree on the facts, it's super hard to have a useful conversation. And that's what the aggregation that, that Google... Facebook, Twitter did to our our thought yeah. process because they took a country that was already somewhat polarized and by giving each people their own world to live in, they made the polarization much worse. It's so sinister when you think about Putin's approach. It's it was so, genius it's though, It's genius right? and cynical. Oh, it's, it's awful. He's I like, mean, what, do, what are the, the remaining things that these Americans can't agree on? Okay, race in the South, gun control. The Clintons and yeah. their 
wealth. And okay, it, let's make ads. He's a poor country with an economy small, much larger than the population, but a smaller economy than right. Italy, right? So he's got no way to win conventionally. No. So what does he do? He outthinks us. His whole notion is we're going to use American technology. We're going to do guerrilla warfare. You're going to use American technology to subvert the minds of American voters. Brilliant. And basically for the price of an F-35 fighter plane, he swings probably Brexit and the U.S. election. And, and it's for still the price of hard one, at work. For one fighter jet. Well, hell, he doesn't need to do a damn thing from here. I well, mean, he's, he's working on Italy and some other oh, places. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All he's, I meant was he, it's like if he never made one more move. Have you tried to hire somebody lately? It is bonkers out there. It is so hard to find somebody because unemployment is so low and the top people have so many options. Let alone the fact that a lot of people want to like work part time or four days a week or from home. But there's all these great candidates out there who are passive job searchers. What do I mean by passive job searchers? Well, these are people who are hanging out on LinkedIn and they're, you know, maybe talking to friends or doing in mail, updating their feed, reading news, all on LinkedIn, which is one of the world's largest social networks, as you know, and the largest one for business, clearly. Well, what if those people who are not looking, the passive job searchers, saw your opportunity? Well, they might say, hmm, I like my job, but I think I'll love that job working for JCal at launch. That's exactly what happened. That's how we got Sir Charles, our new director, for our studio position here. We received 68 candidates in only two weeks by posting to LinkedIn jobs. And I'm going to give you 50 bucks right now. I'm going to give you a 50 just by going to LinkedIn.com slash twist. LinkedIn.com, you know that. It's already in your URL. It's in your bookmarks because you're on LinkedIn multiple times a week, maybe a day like me. And if you go to LinkedIn.com and just put slash TWIST, you get 50 bucks right now, 50 beans. Go grab it and you will find extremely high qualified candidates. We spent, listen to this punchline, $140 to find Charles. If we had hired a headhunter or we we're posting on other websites, it would have been so arduous. Instead, it was easy. And the same thing. We, we have an office now in Toronto. We were looking for people up there. We found this amazing candidate, Maureen, who has been doing an incredible job for us. And when we posted, LinkedIn auto-populated our posting with some candidates. We started reaching out to them and we're like, who is this superstar? Boom, got him on the team. So once again, LinkedIn saved the day for me, J-Cal. It's just brilliant. LinkedIn has been building and building for over a decade. And now the benefit is here. The benefit is you can find the best people, especially if you're a great company and you take the time to write a good ad and put it on LinkedIn jobs. Again, 50 bucks, linkedin.com slash twist. LinkedIn.com slash twist. I use it. I love it. I love reading the ad for them because I get excited about finding talented people to work on our team. Okay. Speaking of talented people, let's get back to this episode. I mean, we're in chaos. Sit there and look at it. We have this incredibly symbiotic relationship with China, right? For what, 30 years? Yeah, it's they, working out. They export, we import, everybody's happy. That's really brilliant. And we get this unilateral thing that we're going to blow that up at a moment in time when the Chinese were actually kind of vulnerable. Yeah. So suddenly we now actually have to worry about conflict with China. So we go from symbiosis to conflict for what? Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean, if you're Putin, you're just sitting there going, I can't believe how lucky I am. Right. Right. He's like, I can't believe this. I like he split the arrow and then split it well, again. It's like he's at a roulette wheel and hits double zero 27 times in a row. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, holy moly. What are the odds I'm able to actually right? do this? And all enabled by coming full circle, the libertarian 
might is right, tech is right. If I can build it, it just it should exist in the world. And the cult that of success is to remove friction, and it's not my fault if this gun can fire 50 rounds a minute or 500. I made the platform. I made the paper. I made the gun. How you if use you the pull paper, the if you pull the trigger, it's your fault. It's on you. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, this it, is this this is the thing I find super sinister, and this is the thing I'll challenge Cheryl and Zuck on. They are so hardcore, sharp elbowed about keeping competitors from using their platform to grow that they will ban and they look for ads that are building social networks or maybe a dating site, anything that could compete with them eventually, and they will ban those companies from buying ads. Yeah. Yet they will put multiple Facebook executives in Bannon's office, allow them to put up ads that have Pizzagate and all kinds of offensive stuff to and allow people to target African Americans. So they actually chose to put race on there. They could say we're going to go after blacks, Jews, well, Hispanics, whoever. Again, this stuff is so automated, right? The Jew hater, the Nazi thing, the the white supremacist stuff. That's all generated by the the machine learning and the AI looking at the audience and going, there's 100,000 people who self-identify, yeah. so we're just going to make that available. The problem is but it's too automated. somebody says, in the ad network, make it a checkbox and an option. Well, no, no. Somebody the said- the data being no, there is I'm one saying, thing. I, I don't think there's, the humans are doing it. I think what's actually happening is there's no humans saying, hang on, somebody needs to look and make sure we don't do this. We have this Got automated it. system. It, what you need to have, this is a classic thing where they need controls. But here's the thing, and this for our, our next segment we need to talk about, because yeah. the problem that we're dealing here is I don't even think this is the worst thing that's going on now. Oh, it could be worse. No, no. There are it is, worse things on. going on. Today- Okay, hold on a second. So as horrible as this is, yeah. we allowed a despot, a dictator from a foreign country who's murderous yeah. to bring out the worst instincts yeah. through platforms we created that we don't put any rails on ourselves. Yeah, let's imagine that what we- What could be worse than this? Let's imagine that we fix that today. What's really going on? So there is a new book by a woman named Shoshana Zuboff at the Harvard Business School called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And she spent 10 years on this book, and it came out just a few weeks ago. And so her, she hypothesis, she basically takes a bunch of ideas that I have in my book where she'd been working on, on these things for 10 years. I have a, a bunch of hypotheses about what must have happened from a business model perspective to make all these things true. She spent 10 years studying it, and so she has it exactly. And here's the, what's going on. So Google had this insight. And in 2003, filed a patent that said, while we're making changes to search engines to improve it, we're getting your feedback and your mm. the data. We're getting all this other data that has nothing to do with improving the search engine, but we believe it's extremely valuable. It has predictive power on human behavior. So they patented behavioral prediction using all the sources of data available from people using internet search and then other apps. So here's the basic notion. If you're Google, if you are Facebook, if you are Microsoft, and we're really talking about Bing and their AI business, or if you're Amazon, what you want to do is gather all the data that's available from every source. And that's not just the things people post, but it's their actions before they post something. It's all the metadata from all the things they're doing on the internet, but their credit card history, their bank history, their geolocation from their cellular carrier. It's health data you can get from health apps or Fitbits. It's whatever data you can get. Because it turns out 
There's a lot of predictive power in that. And if you have good enough machine learning and good enough AI, you can extract value. So the insight that I think they had at, at, at Google was that when somebody buys a car, a classic search engine problem, they're like 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 steps they take before they buy the car. Sure. And some small percentage of them are actually explicitly about buying a car. But it turns out the things that aren't about buying a car also have predictive power. And mm. so they gather all the data from all the people who bought cars, and they go back and look at what at the, at the say, 100 things they do before, before they buy the car. And they compare all those, and they find certain common patterns. So then the next person who comes along who gets to step 30, you realize, well, there's like a 10% chance they're going to buy a car. They get to step 50, it's like there's a 40% chance. They get to step 70, it's like a 70% chance. Yeah, they're on you, the lot. If you get to 90, it's 100% probability they're going to buy a car. Yeah. So th the predictive power means that the price of the ad you're selling goes from being an ad to being lead gen. Right. So it goes from pennies per thousand to hundreds of dollars for one. Yeah. Okay. It's almost like going from an yeah, an impression to a commission. It is. Exactly. Yeah. And that's precisely what's going on. And so they realized that they could do that. Mm. So they Close go into the loop. So they go into this business of gathering data. Here's the problem with it. People say to me, Roger, my data's already out there. And yeah. I'm a good guy. And I'm going Cool, but not relevant here. Because right. what's going on here is it's not your data that has the value, right? If you go to GDPR, the Global Data Protection Regulation, if you go to the California Privacy Law, those are all about the data you put in these systems, your ability to control it. California's pending uh, uh, bill that would give you a dev data dividend is all about the data you put in there. But that's not where the value is. There's probably 100 times more value in the data you put in being used against other people. So if I take that example of the car purchase, when they look at somebody else and sell that ad, the person whose data they based that thing on gets no benefit at all. Mm. So let's take an extreme version. You use CAPTCHA, right? You're, you're yeah. in some site and they say, oh, you got to identify these, you know, show me the buses in these. Yeah. Things. Well, Hang on just a sec. That has nothing to do with determining if you're a human. Google's getting you to do that because you're training the AI for their, AI for their car system, right? That's for their automobiles. They can tell you're a human based on the way your mouse moves. Because if you're a bot, the mouse moves only in predictable ways. Yeah. Whereas if you're a human, it's going to have all this flow. shaky, yeah. So now watch this. Now imagine they're tracking you over a period of 10 years. Hmm. Your mouse movements are going to create a fingerprint and they're going to be within certain bounds. Let's say all of a sudden... It systematically begins to slow down. And the wiggle's different. They now know you have a neurological problem. Now, if you were their customer, you know, if they were Apple, they'd go, hey, dude, we think you got a neurological problem. Go see a doctor. Yeah. But that's not their business. Their yeah. business is to go to an insurance company and yeah. say, hey, is this guy a client of yours? Because if so, he's got a problem. And the insurance company can either raise your rates or wow. throw you off the system before you even know you're sick. Now, can this be done today? I believe it can. I don't think it's a coincidence that Amazon has now got a deal in health insurance because they can tell all kinds of things from this stuff. This is and, like a Dark Mirror episode. Dude, this isn't Dark Mirror. This is real life, okay? Yeah. And so what we're dealing with here is they declare eminent domain on data. They basically say, if we collect data from you or we buy it from a broker somewhere else, we own that data. So you may have come in here looking to buy a car, but we're going to go use that data to cause other people to buy cars. And here's what the real problem is. It's not like they're just making a guess. They have tools to make the guess come true. Hmm. 
They're called recommendation engines and filter bubbles, Hmm. right? So sit there and you think about this. You go, what are the big uses of AI, right? Number one, get rid of white collar work. Number two, filter bubbles. Number three, and rising rapidly, recommendation engines. Well, in this context, they know an awful lot about you. What is to keep them from having the recommendations they give you or to me reflect what they know about our income, reflect what they know about other things, Mm. or about what they care about politically, Mm. right? I mean, we sit there and think these recommendation engines are optimized for our needs. Well, hang on, nothing else these guys do is optimized around our needs. It's all optimized around their needs. So why don't we assume the recommendation engine works that way too? I mean, how, you know, Amazon, there's always been this thing about Amazon can give you differential pricing based on what they know about your income. Right. Right? Well, think about that in the context of recommendation engines. Now, overlay on top of that, all these new sensors, smart speakers, smart TVs, Uh smart cars. Uh So now they're gathering data in all these new places. Now they're giving you some- microphone. They're giving you some- GPS. Well, hey, and it's in in your nest, right? Right. And you're going, wait a minute, what are they doing with that, right? And you say to yourself, well, hey, there's no harm. And it's really convenient. I get to my playlist or I get the weather and I'm going, yeah, but look what they get. Yeah. I mean, they say, well, they're listening for what you're doing. Well, but they're also gathering all this behavioral data. Mm. So they're finding a lot. When do you wake up in the morning? When do you go to sleep at night? You know, Mm. are you stressed? Are you not stressed? Again, take us back to the health thing. What are the probability they're going to know your symptoms in real time? 100%. Sure. You're not their customer. This is not about selling you a cold remedy. This is about selling that data to somebody who will pay thousands of dollars to know it, right? or to put into a recommendation engine where they can capture thousands of dollars from using it, okay? And the reason this exists is not because these are bad people. Mm. This exists because there are no rules. Always been wondering about these R&D tax credits. You know about these things, research and development, and you get tax back? Well, startups can save thousands of dollars, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars in payroll taxes next year by taking advantage of R&D tax credits this year, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. You need a startup tax expert like Cruise Consulting, K-R-U-Z-E. Most tax CPAs simply do not know anything about startups. You know that. You go to them. They don't know what a startup does. They don't know how you make money, let alone these R&D tax credits. Well, I love Cruise Consulting, and some of their clients are going to save $3 million a year in payroll taxes. That is incredible. And when they came on board to be one of our partners here at This Week in Startups, I was like, hey, do you have any of our portfolio companies using your product and services? And they're like, oh, just calm. I'm like, oh, unicorn, yum, yum. And they also have Superhuman, which, you know, it's kind of like maybe my eighth unicorn sitting there. Well, here is what the VP of operations.com said about Cruise Consulting. As a startup, moving quickly is a top priority for us, and we just needed to get our tax returns done. After we uploaded our docs, we got our tax return in three days. E-filing was confirmed by day four. Super responsive and helpful. That is my friend Casey over at com.com, one of my great investments of all time. So if you are a seed or venture-funded Delaware C-Corp, you know what to do. Go to cruiseconsulting.com slash, wait for it, twist, T-W-I-S-T, cruiseconsulting.com slash twist, K-R-U-Z-E, consulting.com slash T-W-I-S-T, Get a white paper that will explain this R&D tax credit at cruiseconsulting.com slash twist and get a free tax consultation. 
They're a great team over there. I highly recommend them. Superhuman, Calm, all of these great companies recommend them. Go ahead and visit cruiseconsulting.com slash twist. I think we have to ask the question, almost all of the data that's traded in the data broker world is traded because in the it, at one time it was used to add value, right? As a marketer, marketers used to collect data to improve the product or the service they sold to the person they collected the data from. And if you think about why it was that that credit card processors, you know, like Experian and Equifax and TransUnion, got into the business of selling credit card data, it was initially for uses that benefited the person whose data they were using. But that isn't where we are today. No. Now those guys and the the cellular guys who have all your geolocation data, and the people who make health tech you know, whether it's apps or Fitbits, have all this data and low margins. And so the temptation to sell the stuff is very high. And there are no rules that say you can't. Mm. And, you know, we just saw last week those apps that, you know, the Wall Street Journal had that amazing story yeah. about the apps that were selling women's menstrual cycles and heart rates and all that other stuff. And they were uploading that data to Facebook in order to target ads better. No, no, I think it's I think we're past that now. I think we're now on the whole thing of changing outcomes, right? It's really mm -hmm. about the the you know, we're getting behavioral prediction, yes, for targeting ads, but it's really more for for changing outcomes. It's more how, about recommendation ads. How does this all end? But hang on, you're talking about yeah. Facebook. I, I'm I'm way more in, no, in this world, I'm much more world worried about Google, I'm worried about Amazon, I'm worried about Microsoft. I'm also worried about Facebook, but you know. The guys who independently sell AI and the people who sell smart devices, they're the ones you really got to worry about, right? Mm -hmm. And Why is know, that? Well, sit there. Let's think about AI as the example, okay? So we've almost every day there's a new story about an AI with some, uh, some implicit bias based in there. So sure. you, you get the situation of the, the facial recognition that either doesn't recognize women, which I think was a Microsoft product, or doesn't recognize people of color, which was right. the Google product. Where all Asian people look the same, I think, was their major problem. And then you've got, yeah. then you've got the problem of, of resume AIs that read resumes. And because they're trained with data from the real world, they have bias uh, by, based on gender and based on race. And then you have the AI that's used for uh, mortgage applications. Mm. And then again, the real world has redlining. It has bias based on religion, race, and other factors You know, in each neighborhood, right? And the problem is there are economic forces for whom those biases served a purpose. Right. And, you know, I think if you're Google, you kind of like having a homogeneous employee base of white and Asian males between 25 and 35, right? And yeah. so if you can sit there and say, well, this AI is doing it and it's value neutral, right? It sort of gets you off the hook if everything it recommends is- AI and algorithms are the furthest from neutral. That's the point. They inherit, yeah. they inherit the biases that people create them. All I'm saying is yeah. that we as human beings tend to defer to authority. We tend to defer mm. to technology because we think it's better. Yeah. And in the old Silicon Valley philosophy, the thing that's caused all the harm with a lot of these global apps is that we still ship a product and then expect the people who use it to find the bugs. 
and find <laughs> the flaws. Yeah. And that was fine if you're making a little PC game or you word know, processor. a word processor. It's not at all cool when your product affects the outcome of civilizations or affects people's lives. and Mental health. And with AI, I believe we have to verify safety, efficacy, and absence of, of bias as a condition to putting it into the market. And these are things that should be automated, right? This isn't like a 10-year trial for these things. This is something you should be able to automate. Now, we're not very good at doing it today, which tells me we shouldn't be deploying these things at scale because mm. you're going to lock in all kinds of really bad behaviors. I mean, I'm still trying to find, is there a single AI in use today that doesn't have some unacceptable bias built into it? Yeah. Because it appears to me as though that might be a feature, not a bug, for at least some people in that value yeah. chain. We're creating a digital caste system that is executed by AI. And well, and, and if you think about it, we're accompanying it with a gig economy that's creating a whole new generation of serfs, right? And yeah. so I'm looking at this and going, I want to get back to the fundamentals and just say, look, I believe that AI should be the, the technology penicillin of the 21st century, done right. Mm. And I believe that we are good enough in the Valley to not only get this right, but to make it fantastic. In fact, I believe that what we're really setting up is the greatest business opportunity in the history of technology. That the problems I'm describing, each one of them is a business opportunity. Yeah. And yeah, to predict when somebody is going to have a neurological disease and through their mouse and what other searches they're doing. But it has to be private to them. Right. So, it, but it, to, to interfere and, and maybe help them would be noble and amazing. It, it would be as long as they are the customer. Yeah. Right. I mean, part of the problem Not a here, drug company. Part of the problem here is that all of these things are being done. You know, they say that in advertising, you're not the customer, you're the product. Yep. Well, in this world, you're not even the product. You're the fuel. Yeah. And that is an unacceptable thing. That is wrong. And I believe it's because we're hyper-centralized. You know, we've allowed the all industries in America. This is, By the way, this is not just a tech problem. The banking industry has these problems. Energy industry has these problems. You know, the tech industry is really, in many ways, just doing the same thing that companies all yeah, over do. We but, are the most effective. But I believe yeah. that, that it's really a symbol that we've been following the same basic strategy economically for too long, mm -hmm. and it's time to regress to the mean. We need more people to participate in the in the upside, and that's I mean that's the the political conversation we should be having in twenty twenty. You embarrassed by your teeth? You got that junk mouth? You got your teeth facing all different directions? Well, I want you to check out Smile Direct Club, and I want you to be confident and have your teeth looking great straight and perfect with smile direct club you can straighten your teeth while invisible aligners are sent directly to you in the mail these invisible aligners work gently and discreetly to gradually guide your teeth into alignment one of over 200 duly licensed doctors oversee your plan every step of the way so you've got that oversight and for only $80 a month, you can have the smile you've waited a lifetime for, and you'll get all that great confidence, not having braces or monthly office visits, and you're not going to pay a fortune. Go to smiledirectclub.com uh, to see real before and after photos uh, of more than 350,000 satisfied grins. Isn't that amazing? 350,000 people have been serviced by Smile Direct Club already. And here is your call to action. Order a free impression kit with rebate or schedule a free 3D scan at one of their smile shops. Plus, Smile Direct Club has an exclusive offer for Twist listeners. Get $150 off your invisible aligners. That's right, $150 off by going to 
smiledirectclub.com slash podcast and use the promo code twist150. Okay, you got to use that promo code twist150 and you need to go to smiledirectclub.com slash podcast. So again, and write that down so you have it uh, at your fingertips when you're ready to fix your smile. Get in there. Smile Direct Club. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. We should be getting back to technology fulfilling the Steve Jobs vision of bicycles for the mind, of empowering us, right? Instead of taking away the things, you know, taking away our jobs, taking away what we think, taking away what we like, right? We don't want to delegate those things to AIs. What we'd really rather do is have the AI tell us, hang on just a sec, you need to go to the doctor, Mm. right? And those kinds of things are worth a lot of money, right? And, you know, protecting people from invasions of privacy is itself a business opportunity, Right. And, you know, why is the cloud a set of giant, you know, casks into which data gets dumped? Why isn't it an infinite series of virtual, virtual clouds where each, where N is the number of customers? People wildly more secure, wildly more private. Why do you have to take device? Why do you want to process things in the cloud? Why not just process on the device? We have tons of processing on these smartphones yeah. now, right? And we're about to go to, to 5G where you're going to have processing all over the place. Yeah. It's insane to move stuff into the cloud on that basis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, moving video, Unless fine. you want to own all the data. Well, sorry, yeah. that's my point. Yeah. And that's why we need <laughs> to have some, some government intervention. But I want to start by asking questions. Why is it legal for there to be any commerce at all in your or my personal financial transaction data? Why should there be any commerce at all in our location data? Why should there be any commerce in our health data? So you'd think a law that said you're not allowed to collect the GPS data and sell it to other people or use it in any way. Well, I would say, like, take Uber, right? There's an an obvious necessity for them having it, but they shouldn't, they should have to destroy it the minute the, the, the ride is done. And the ride should price in the real cost of the ride. This notion that they're going to appear to give you a deal where the real thing is that they're going to profit from manipulating mm-hmm. you later, it's that, th- there's a dishonesty to that. Yeah. I think we need to get the economy back to pricing things according to what's really going on because otherwise you're going to wake up one day and it'll be too late. And then people find that they're on this, you know, they're on the street with all the homeless people because they 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 had a health problem. They're not in a position to cover it because their insurance has been taken away because somebody figured out they were sick before they did and and undercut them, right? And so there are all these weaknesses, and I think the tech industry should be able to solve all of them. And right now, if you're an entrepreneur and you've had this experience yourself, you're at the mercy of what Google and Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft will let you do, Yeah. right? And- you know, there are lots of companies who've had really promising starts, only discover that their capital dries up, or you know, Google suddenly is doing yeah, it the, thing the algorithm has switched the algorithm to, to take away. Yeah. And you I'm too. sitting there going, that that's wrong. And what I'd like to do is just to recognize that Google and Facebook and and Microsoft and Amazon can have a great business without harming people. Mm. And and you know, I would like to believe that the management teams are, you know are up to that task, but failing that, and you know, obviously they haven't done it yet, um, I think we have to change the incentives. And California has a, a proposed bill that would give a right of independent legal action to all consumers. So it would end the practice in terms of service that said you have to go to arbitration and say, if you feel you've been harmed, you can sue for 
for mm-hmm. damages. That is a wonderful, wonderful idea. And I want it in its most pure, clean, unadulterated way. Any situation, any time. And I like to have the opportunity for state AGs to be able to view some of these things as criminal mm-hmm. because some of these things really are criminal. Yeah. And the reason is not because I want to punish anybody, but I want to change the incentives. I want to give these companies a genuine reason to reform. Yeah. It's just like what happened with chemicals. For f- the first 50 years of the chemical industry, chemical companies would just dump the residue of their process, whether it's mercury or chrome or whatever, in fresh water or on the side of the road. And by the 70s, the country was so polluted, you know, you couldn't see, you couldn't breathe, and yeah. you couldn't, you, you get cancer really early because it was everywhere. And Eventually, the country said, wait a minute, that's terrible. We're going to make the people who created the problem pay for it. Hmm. I think we have to recognize that there are the equivalent of digital spills that are toxic and that the people who create them have to pay for them. And right now, they get to walk. Their margins are artificially high because they aren't paying the cost of the damage that they do. And I look at this and I go, so on the one hand, I want to have, I want to end some practices because I think if we end the trade in those data, location, health, and um, financial, then we can have a debate about what are the circumstances where it's legit. Right. Right. And so by default, the default matters. If by default, you can't use the GPS data for commerce unless the person explicitly says it. And then, hey, we're going to get rid of it after a year, whatever the window is to get a refund. First, we ban it. Yeah. And then we have the conversation. Okay. (laughs) And the reason was otherwise it's... the. I mean, we've we've run that experiment with, with global data protection regulation in Europe. If you start from today's thing and then work, move off of there, you, you know, it's too easy for these guys to control the experiment and persuade people. The not counter to... argument would be you're going to slow down the pace of technology and innovation, and it's going to cost customers money. No, and my simple response to that that is nonsense. What you're going to do is redirect it. Hmm. Okay, I mean, we're going to redirect the. T- in fact, I would argue these guys are killing innovation. Right. right. I mean, they're stopping it anywhere near them. And Google's got this bright, shining light in Google Ventures going, hey, we like blockchain and we like, you know, yeah. things your parents used to do for you. And we like, you know, uh, transportation. So they've taken all the money away from the core of the Internet and brought into these things that are more capital intensive, huh. take longer. And, you know, Google buys enough stuff to keep the venture guys happy and then writes them off. Yeah. Right. Go look at the history of their stuff. Yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, these guys really are smarter. OK. Yeah. But. It's not good for the country. And here's the thing. So regulation is a solution here. Well, part of the solution. Politics is a huge part of it. And think about antitrust. Antitrust and technology is the greatest thing that ever happened. In 1956, the first antitrust action in what we think of as the technology market, AT&T consent decree, does two things. AT&T agreed to do what the telegraph company did when AT&T was created, which is to restrict itself to its existing telecom market. That allowed IBM and control data to create a separate digital computer industry in 1956. That's where the computer industry comes from. What was the other thing? They agreed to license their entire patent portfolio at no cost. The most important thing in there was the transistor. Hmm. Silicon Valley exists because of that. Okay. Then came the IBM case. The result of that was to create an independent software industry, right, by ending the lock-in on the IBM operating system, and it created personal computers. Then comes the second 18, well, then comes uh, Carter Phone, which basically gets the AT&T telecom hardware into the public domain so people could make telephones and stuff yeah. like that. You don't pick from three at the phone store. <laughs> and then you go to uh, the second, the AT&T breakup, which brings cellular forward like 10 years and i don't even know how much it brought 
broadband data, but they weren't even thinking about broadband yeah. data, and, and that became a big deal. And then Microsoft, which leads to the internet. And what's here's the, the punchline. Every one of the target companies, so AT&T several times, IBM, Microsoft, went to all-time highs for years after the thing. And, and the country- because? Well, because the the business they were left with was still incredibly attractive. And the tide rose and, for everything and, else. And yet we yeah. created whole new industries. Yeah. And my point here is- Which we, they got to participate in and had a pole position on. It, well, in some cases, right? In yeah. ATT, they couldn't participate in computers, right? But 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 in the, Microsoft's case, they could participate in the internet. They they did. So we've yeah. been nicer to Microsoft than we were to some of the- And IBM participated in PCs, obviously. Right. So, so at the end of the day, my simple observation here is I'm incredibly- br- pro-tech and pro-growth. I just think we're in a place we've been before. This is, it looks, these guys are the new robber barons, right? They've defined a world that suits them. And I think when you study it economically, you see that that they behave the way monopolists behave, not because they're bad people, but because the economic imperatives of monopoly are that you restrict innovation yeah. and you restrict you know, all kinds of things. And I think the country's better served when we have rampant entrepreneurship and we have rampant growth. And these guys are preventing that from happening. So uh, it's not just that I don't buy their arguments. Their own arguments don't make sense. I mean, there are literally no confirming examples of their side of the case, right? They're just framing it in a way that's politically attractive. And yeah. my point here is, let's just have the debate. I mean, we're not even having the debate. Yeah. And so, you know, when I first saw the stuff that led me to write Zucked, I was just a guy who was surprised by what I saw on a company I loved. And what I've discovered is it's a business model, it's a culture, it's way more it's than the toxic Facebook. business model, yeah. It is, and it's it's... But it's also a genius business model, right? Yeah. I mean, the you know the analyst to me looks at it and goes, "Wow, I mean, these guys really did a great yeah. job." My point is, I if I could sit down with Mark today, I go, "Look, you got the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, but there is no way you can do as much good in a foundation as you can by having a good night's sleep, waking up tomorrow morning, yeah. having an epiphany, and realizing he could save the world with Facebook." Yeah. Right. And I look at this and I go. I'd love to sit down with Larry and Sergey and go, guys, you've proven your point. Yeah. Okay. You dominated. Well, it's not just Built dominated. the biggest companies every, every, ever. Yeah. And everything you did yeah. worked out. Now it's time to figure out how to do that as a force for good instead of a force for bad. Okay. Would and Facebook's problems all be solved if they just gave people the option when you came to the site of putting in your credit card and paying for it like Netflix and saying, uh, I won't record any data on your account if you pay 10 bucks a month. Yeah. Well, I, I, I that might do it. But I think the problem now is it's not the data from the sites that's causing you the problem. Yeah. It's the fact that data is available everywhere. So it doesn't work for just one guy to do it. Yeah. Okay. And it also, we have to remember, it's like the data dividend problem that it, it it's the social component. It's this, what, what Zuboff calls the behavioral surplus. It's, it's the fact that your data has predictive power relative to me, that my data has predictive power relative to other people. And that that currently there's no compensation for that. Mm. And the reason we're going to be able to apply antitrust law to these guys is that the current standard, right? Today, we live in this weird world where the only thing that matters for antitrust is do prices go up for consumers? And they say, well, hey, our product is free. But in truth, economically, what's going on is it's a barter. Services for data. And if you simply look at the value of the data relative to the value of services right. you're, you're receiving, the value of the data has been going up geometrically. And the tell is that look at the average revenue per user for these guys, right? Yeah, it's going that, way up. 
I mean, and that is just that's just a marker. That's not the actual outcome, but that's a marker. And you know, there are a lot of economists who are working on this because they awarded a Nobel Prize last year for carbon credits, which is exactly the same problem. It's a it's a barter economy without you know without, without currency in a lot of cases. And so I look at this as as you know, two years ago there was nobody for me to talk to. Right. And now I got a book that managed to make the New York Times bestseller list, and Incredible. I'm sitting here with you, Jason. We're yeah. having this conversation. People are listening to it, and a lot of people are waking up and going, wow, I don't want to be in a world where companies are deciding whether I live or die based on what the yield is of my data selling it to some other party who could right. harm me. Right? That's that. I think we can You've all agree that's a bad idea. You've taken some steps to, uh, and I have too, I, I use the Apple phone. The iPhone is pretty secure in terms of our data, yeah. right? Tim Cook's on the right I, side I've, of history. I've been testing a lot of things here. Okay? DuckDuckGo is great. So let me tell you what I'm doing. So yeah, I, I, I play a game against Google. Okay. It's Frogger. It's a version of Frogger. Okay. Do, so, do, do, yeah. so I'm, so in my game of Frogger, Google's the river. I'm the frog. The logs are the other products. My goal is can I avoid Google entirely? And this is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. So at the beginning, I was really dying, but- so I have to use DuckDuckGo as my search engine. Um, you know, I'm using Safari and Ghostery as my browser. Ghostery is amazing, right? And then I use One uh, Password for login. You know, I use the Microsoft productivity apps. That's the hardest one because almost everybody uses Google Docs, which are terrible products and horrible for you. So, um, you know, they're big incentives to use other things. And uh, I use uh, both. Uh, iCloud email, and I also use Microsoft Exchange email, and there are a gazillion other products that I'm using. Yeah. But the basic notion is I want to have a small footprint as possible, and uh, I've spent a year and a half doing this. My high score is two months, and I was a little over- ever touching Google product, Yeah, I was wow. a little over one month uh, earlier this week, and a friend of mine, I was meeting him in Cambridge, and he sent me a location with a like a bitly address uh -oh. and i click through and it's a google map and it's like boom, and you, boom. i'm in the river i gotta start again but i got a two-month high score so i'm, I'm I, feeling like i have I'm, another I'm approach i am um, i have created an account i'm yoshi uh, a 14 year old japanese girl mm -hmm. and i use a vpn from japan and uh i just sign up for everything as yoshi Two okay. Two. So, so, so every as far i mean i'm doing a lot of my same searches but they think yeah. that this 15 year old girl from japan has parkinson's Ooh. So 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 I do other things as well, right? I mean, on Facebook, I still love Facebook. And frankly, I've I got know. a book for people who are on Facebook and Instagram, so I have to advertise there. So my point to you here is not- They let you advertise on the platform? Well, actually, there's a long story there. I have I, I have leverage for obvious reasons, right? And so they, they periodically shut me down, but-, but They literally shut down- your marketing of Zog. No, 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 no. They've never gotten, they've shut me down never long enough to matter. Okay. So okay. I, I give them full credit. It's always gotten escalated to a point where they did the right thing. Okay. Right. But, but. They can't stop the Russians, but they can stop the book Zog. Well, <laughs> and, and it's not just them. Amazon's got issues with the title too, right? For advertising. Ah. And, but, but here's the point. You know, our lives are more controlled by their algorithms and their code they are, that we are by the law, right? So if they decide that zucked is a word that is an inappropriate word, right? Uh, right? It doesn't matter that, that it's demonstrably not. If they mm -hmm. say so, that's where you are and there's no appeal. But so I, on Facebook, I don't engage in any politics anymore. I used to essentially compile really interesting um, 
I, I used to essentially do a microblog on Facebook yeah. of what I thought things people should know. And it was designed across the, the aisle. The aisle. Uh, and, you know, I really vetted stuff super carefully, but I no longer do that. I no longer, you know, I don't block anybody. I don't allow my buttons to get pushed, right? I'm really careful about all it's that kind of stuff. I don't use LinkedIn at all. I don't use uh, Instagram except to promote the book. I have yeah. no personal presence on Instagram. Um, I don't use any of the Microsoft products. And, you know, the truth is, I mean, I think a lot about, uh, uh, was it Cashmere Hill had the, who, who tried to do the thing of getting off? And she was like way deeper into it than yeah. I was, right? I mean, you know, she was like up. And, and she went way past it, right? Because she was trying to make sure you never even touch their servers. Wow. And you, it's almost impossible to avoid Amazon that way now, right? Because yeah. AWS is everywhere, right? Impossible, and, yeah. And and so you're sitting there going- I think the National Acquirer was on Amazon Web Services. Yes, that's true. As when they're publishing the Bezos. But, but when she wrote that, the, the, that, you know, about that experience, what she pointed out here is that these people actually do monopolize our public square. Mm. And if they decide they don't like something- there's no appeal. And our government is in a really weird position because for 50, maybe 60 years, we had no reason to question the tech industry. It always produced products that made our lives better. And then- Such a net positive. Google and Facebook essentially cashed in all that goodwill. Yeah. And in 2017, the flag went up. The first hearings occur in the fall of that year. And Less than 18 months ago. And that was the first message to Capitol Hill. You guys got to get on the case. And two things have happened. You know, everybody, all they remember was, you know, uh, Senator Hatch's question about the Google uh, business model and a couple of the other older folks who, who asked questions that weren't helpful. What they forget is that less than two hours into that first hearing with Zuck, the FBI raided Manafort's home. And that was all we saw. Everybody missed yeah. The younger senators and all the people in the house and the, 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 the grilling in the house was like watching a sushi chef, you know, yeah. make carving up fugu. It was both precise and deadly. Right. Yeah. And so uh, I think and by the way, we've just elected 40 members of Congress. I think 39 of them are under the age of 40. Yeah. I mean, w I believe Congress is up to this and I believe they're up to it for two reasons. One is. They regulate currently banking, healthcare, and the military, which are demonstrably more complicated. But also, they all use these products. Yeah, they know it. They have to know. AOC it. is like her whole superpower is Periscope and Twitter. Like it, just like Trump's superpower is his ability to troll. So, on so my observation on this is, I think this is a rapidly. Uh, improving situation you've got the ftc making positive moves you've got the yeah. antitrust division of the justice department making positive moves so it's across the aisle and if you watch me right one of the core things is i believe this is a right versus wrong issue not a right versus left issue and i'm not blaming the people i mean you notice something about this whole thing yeah. i think this is a matter of a culture and a business model and the fact that there have been no rules In a and way, i just want us to tell these guys guys you have responsibility let's figure out how to do this better what you've done so far is laughable we need to get the real stuff we need to change your business model we know that's going to harm your earnings tough noogies who cares we're just going to have to do it you have mountains of cash and time well and none of that you're it's the richest the people the on earth it's going to be fine well that's the thing i can't understand if you're you and i have done well you've done i think a little bit better but we've done well in this i wake up and i think 
my reputation and the contribution I'm making to the world is the most important thing. It does not seem that Zuck is wired that way to care about his reputation. Does he care actually, that I, he's destroyed I, democracy, that he's caused this pain and I suffering? I think there's, I, again, does this is- Does it get this, through to him? This is a place where I think he is so convinced of the importance of connecting the whole world that he's still looking at this that we don't understand. We don't get him. We No, we don't get the, the importance of that mission. And, you know, I'm really sympathetic with that, okay? I'm, I, I mean, that's the, the thing that, that I just look at is that, I mean, I feel terrible for him, okay? I feel bad for Cheryl. I feel bad for Larry and Sergey because they were, in many ways, super honest about what they were doing. The tactics they've used, they've been completely dishonest about. But the the mission of collecting all the world's information or connecting the whole organizing world, it, yeah. you know, they were they were clearly open on that, and you know, they have used their power in a way that is no different than you see in banking or energy yeah. or any other industry where it's highly concentrated, which today is essentially all industries. And so I look at this and I go, you know. Because of the title of the book, people think there's something personal going on. I go, no, I picked that title. My wife came up with the name. Why? Because it sells books. It's clever. It's clever. And it gets sure. people to pay attention, which was the desperately important issue right now. we got to have the conversation. But people should just take away from this thing. And I think it surprises a lot of people that, you know, I like these people. I yeah. want them to be successful. I and, like them too. And it's like, I'm sorry. I can hold two different thoughts in my head at the yeah. same time. Yeah. One is that people I like and respect can preside inadvertently over something that's causing a, an existential crisis for humanity. It's that's Those two things are not incompatible. A good person can do bad things. Absolutely. Yes. This and is... they can do bad things without intending to do bad things. Yes. And then they can get into a situation where they wind up covering it up or whatever because they don't have around them whatever it is they would need to do a better job of it. I mean, look at the board of directors. I mean- It's a joke. I'm, well, I'm just saying, if ever there was a duty for a board of directors to sit up there and go, you know, to Larry and Sergey and to Mark and go, guys- Gotta change. Or, or, or we gotta have the conversation. Yeah. And well, we gotta have the conversation in public and we gotta stop being at stake, right? I mean, and you look but, but, at Peter Thiel, he's well, such on, a whack why? job. why? But why? Why does money matter? My point to you is, why part of what's wrong in our culture is that money's the only variable we seem to care about anymore. Yeah, it is a super problem because the our industry, what attracted me to the industry that you were so fundamental in building is that I wanted to be part of the rebel alliance that Microsoft and Apple and the changes that the technology industry could have for good in the world. That when I was growing up in the 80s, I thought a modem and getting online was just the greatest thing you could ever do. And now it seems like, gosh, those last two companies, you're right, have kind of pissed in the well, well as I, it I, were. But hang on. I mean, it's like I said, we life is full of shit like that, right? Yeah. And, you know, I just, I want to have the whole country engaged in a conversation. I want the 2020 election to have this be the front and center issue for both parties because this is about liberty in the good old-fashioned founding father's sense of liberty, which is yeah. the right to self-determination. And no one should be allowed to have a business model that takes that away. The country over the years has repeatedly stamped that out. And all we're talking about here, all I'm talking about, is just doing a good old American thing, which is recognizing that monopoly is like monarchy, not a good thing. Entrepreneurship is inherently good. 
tech should be a force for good. If it's not, we need to change it. And, you know, we need to prove that that we're clever enough to solve our own problems, right? And, you know, I'm looking at this and going, I hope we are, but I can't be absolutely certain of it until we actually do it. On that note, the great Roger McNamee's new book is out, Zucked. He reads it. It's really well written. Did you have somebody help you write it, or did you do it yourself? I did a, every single word of it. So it turns you're, out it turns out you're a great writer. Well, thank from one you. writer to another, uh, Jackie and I were talking about it. You you write compellingly, but you started. It's all in my own voice, and I, that comes from having written speeches full text. Uh, and uh, I didn't realize I could write a book, and it was you enjoyed it. I loved it. It was like it burst out of me, and I couldn't believe how fast it came out. That's the thing people don't realize. You really can get into a flow moment if you're writing about something you're passionate about in this book. Um, but here's the thing, Roger. Your autobiography is something you need to work on after you get through this press tour. You need to write your life story because there's two chapters in here where you talk about growing up in Albany and then coming to uh, San Francisco and all that stuff. I, w- I want to hear that story. Well, so thank Do you for bi- saying that. So, autobiography. They the, must have been they must have this discussion pe- with, your, pe- right, with your publisher. People have been trying to get me to write the tell-all, right? Because of yeah. where I've been all those years. I've been like sure. Zelig and like, like Forrest Gump. I've been in a lot of cool places at yeah. the cool moment without being the important person in the room just happening to be there. Uh, and I don't want to do that. But if you, you know, maybe after this, it'll be worth you, writing the you story. You have to do it. I, I thought the best moment of your personal story was your partner screwing you over? Was that Silver Lake or? Well, so Silver Lake and I had, shall we say, a, f- a f- difference in philosophy about life. You got boxed out by four sharks. Three sharks. Okay, three yeah. sharks boxed you out. Yeah. And you, but are it's it worked. In, in the end, it worked out. I mean, I had ten years of depression and a lot of issues that followed it, but it was uh, in the end, it worked out for the best. They, okay. they, they, the investors did fine. Um, I got to do elevation and a lot of cool. Well, that things was the best part about it. Is after, and we'll end on this. You leave getting ousted, whatever, sharp elbows. These guys stab me in the back, bastards. And uh, you go over Bono's place. Yeah. And he says, let's do a firm together. Yeah. That was pretty, that was a pretty fun moment. And the thing is, to have it blow up over the opportunity to buy 18% of Apple when it was trading at cash value, and my going, what do you mean you don't want to do this? And they say, you know, we don't want you having any more board seats or being involved here. And I'm going, and you're going to turn down Apple? at cash value to do that. I mean, our poor investors lost out on an opportunity for $100 billion of return. Unbelievable. All right, on that note, everybody buy the book. Roger, uh, listen, this has been a peak experience for me to have you on the on the podcast. I truly appreciate it. Listen, what a pleasure. Thank you. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.